Oi, tudo bem? This is Brazuca Sounds, hosted and produced by Leandro Vignoli. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Brazuca Sounds. Just in case you still don't know, you can follow a playlist on Spotify called Brazuca Sounds Soundtracks. Then you're gonna have all the songs that I ever played on this show. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm there as Brazuca Sounds. You can also rate this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other streaming services. On this edition here, we're going to celebrate one more album released 50 years ago. This one in particular was released in May 1973 by Philips in Brazil. I'm talking about the Matita Pere album by Tom Jobim. Also, a.k.a. Jobim, how the album was released internationally in 73, different name, cover, and that's when Tom Jobim shifts from his bossa nova pass through a different direction, more complex, symphonic, erudite, although... The opening track here of this album is quite literally a bossa nova classic standard. É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho, é um resto de topo, é um pouco sozinho, é um caco de vidro, é a vida, é o sol, é a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol, é peroba do campo. É o nó da madeira, caenga, candeia, Matita Pereira. Matita Pereira, you heard, that's the name of the record in Brazil, appears here in the lyrics of Aguas de Março. Matita Pereira is a bird. The first recording of this song here was released as a single, which came one year before, in 72, as a supplement for the weekly newspaper O Pasquim. And then in 72, Elis Regina obviously recorded. So this version here is the first time Tom Jobim officially recorded this song for an album. This song was famously written in Tom Jobim's family cottage in the countryside. É o projeto da casa, é o corpo na cama Or in English, the plan of the house, the body in bed They were actually sleeping in a shack, more or less Him and his wife at the time, while the main house was being still constructed That's why there's a lot of reference to that period Also, notoriously, Tom Jobim wrote this song on a bread paper rapper like he just had his lyrics on his mind during an evening and to not lose it he just decided to grab a pencil and write on this paper wrapper that was just available uh, right there uh, the reason Tom Jobim went his family cottage was because he was there isolated to try and finish 
another composition of the album, Matita Pere, the main track that we're going to talk a little later here, which is also the reason this bird, Matita Pereira, ended up on the lyrics also of Aguas de Marzo. So Aguas de Marzo is such a popular song, so many people know its history. Uh, it is a stream of consciousness where he puts together all these words of nature, the stick, the stone, the sun, the slump. Aguas de Marzo is taken as an image also of the passage of everyday life, uh, like the rains at the end of the march, which brings the summer to an end in Brazil, this image of water. It is the promise of life a symbol of renovation in the Brazilian culture. So that's the reason, for instance, here in Aguas de Março, Tom Jobim decided to translate this one himself. The final climax of the song here is heavily different from the version more popular with Elise Gina. is all these flutes in the Elisegina version is all that Ana Luísa Se a guarda cochila Eu posso penetrar No castelo So, second song on the album already shows us the big difference is Tom Jobim singing, right? All his songs here, almost entirely of his discography before, up until that point, was made of instrumental songs, uh, even for songs with lyrics. Many times, Girl from Ipanema, for instance, had lyrics before. When Tom Jobim recorded, was always instrumental, Ana Luisa, eu fiz esta canção para você. Ana Luisa, eu fiz essa canção para você. I made this song for you. This is Ana Luisa, sang and written by Tom Jobim. Tom Jobim was confident enough also to write the lyrics by himself instead of relying too much on his pals, Vinicius, Newton Mendonça, etc. Obviously, there are these strong orchestral elements through the entire record. Matita Pere was the fifth of seven albums recorded with the arrangements of German conductor Klaus Ogerman. This album was recorded in New York at the Columbia Records Studio, a.k.a. The Church. Uh, they also recorded Kind of Blue by Miles Davis right there. Primavera, Ana Luisa, teus olhos, em que lago, em que serra, em que Escuta, Luisa, 
brisa uma canção fala em você. These recording sections were in December 1972, although in the Brazilian version of the album it says on the back cover that it was January 1993. That's not right. And by the way, just because it was recorded in New York, Tom Jobim was living there for a while sometimes, back and forth to Brazil. He was accused a lot of being like too American, right? To make Brazilian music into jazz. Uh, so there are this column on a newspaper where the journalist Valdir Pires ends the piece with a dig at Jobim for having recorded again in the United States while, quote-unquote, our musicians go unemployed. The type of stuff Jobim had to deal with at the time and he didn't go unnoticed like he did for the newspaper O Globo piece from March 73 where he says that he records in the States authentic Brazilian music while there are people living in Rio and playing American music. So we have also dissing so many uh, funk, soul, rock and roll influences in the Brazilian music in the 1970s, right? All this chitty-chatty. Tom Jobim also used to say that living in the USA too much made him realize how Brazilian he was, in fact, which makes a lot of sense. I'm a Brazilian living abroad for quite some time now, so I know too well what he was talking about. And his name, after all, was Antonio Carlos Brasileiro de Almeida Jobim. That's his full name. So he had Brazilian as his surname. Brasileiro. More than 30 musicians were used, all selected by Klaus Ogerman, the New York Philharmonic Orchestra included, also the trombonist Irby Green, who, by the way, later recorded a version of the song on the background, Ana Luisa, in his solo album of 1974. And who is Ana Luisa, by the way? That was just like a pretty girl that Jobim saw once in this restaurant in Rio de Janeiro called Antonio's. He was a very methodic guy, Tom Jobim. He used to go to the same bar always, Veloso, same restaurant always, Antonius. So this song is just about a girl. No jardim das rosas de sonho e medo, pelos canteiros de espinho e flores lá. Quero ver você, olere, olara. So Matita Pere, the album, began to be recorded by Tom Jobim in 1972 in Brazil, in his hometown of Rio de Janeiro, CBS Studios, with the arrangements by Tom and Dori Kaimi. It was to be released by the Philips record label, but right after this song on the background, the self-titled track of the album was finished, 
Tom Jobim was dissatisfied with the technical quality of the recordings, uh, so he decided to take off to America and produce the album there. That's when Klaus Augerman entered, uh, creating the arrangements for the album in New York, although some of the Dori Kaimi previous work in writing the arrangements was not entirely erased. Arrangements, pretty much that everything goes on top of the melody, the strings, the horns, the way the musicians play. When it comes to the lyrics, Jobim used literary references from a João Guimarães Rosa book, hence this somewhat complex aspect of the lyrics, which is very long, very abstract to say the least, mentioning all the time this character, João. So, João Guimarães Rosa is one of those authors who's notably hard to read, even for Brazilians. He used a lot of neologisms, super outdated regional dialect. His masterpiece, Grande Sertão Veredas, used to be mandatory at school in my time. It's like a 1959, 600 pages that's almost impossible to understand anything. It's our Finnegan's Wake, I guess. Another literary reference was a poem by Carlos Drummond de Andrade. So he had all these snippets of book references, so he invited his friend and poet, composer Paulo Cesar Pinheiro to put together the rest of the lyrics. I mentioned this guy before, he also wrote many songs for the João Donato King e King album. But anyway, this bird, Matita Pere, is attributed mystical qualities in the Brazil's deep countryside folklore. In the song, Jobim very cleverly even used these two notes rising a half tone with a piccolo to indicate the presence of this bird. By the way, according to the legend, everything about the arrangements of this album started with this bird's call. So also according to the regional superstition in Brazil, the voice of destiny due in part to his singing in two tree trunks. Its song bounces and echoes. Sometimes you cannot even see the bird, only hears him. Uh, this little peep of a bird playing with the piano would also be extremely famous on the version of Agua de Marzo that he recorded with Elise Regina. But anyway, this album here, Matita Pere, and this song that names the album, it marked Jobim's shift away from Bossa Nova and its 
Rio-centric songs make a deep connection to the rural landscape, Brazil's diverse flora, fauna, folklore, as we also would see in his later albums Urubu and Passarin. It's more like a trilogy. And this song here clocks at 7 minutes and 35, changes its tempo a lot, starting as an acoustic guitar, then switches into a symphonic aspect, only to speed up with all this percussion with also a section of flutes and this double bass. Passa sete serras, passa cana brava No brejo das almas tudo terminava No caminho velho onde a lama trava lá no todo fim é bom, já acabou João. By the way, all these double basses are provided by two uh, guys, Richard Davis. Among his best-known contributions, it is the album Out to Lunch by Eric Dolphy. The other bassist is Ron Carter, that played before with Tonjo being in two records, Wave and Stoneflower. Uh, by the way, this final part of the song here later on uh, was used as the climax of the movie Sagarana O Duelo. Uh, not by any coincidence, this movie was based on a short story written by João Guimarães Rosa, the novelist that this song is a tribute for. In the movie, though, is a different recording with Dori Kaimi. Arrangements, right? Jobim didn't have the time to do anything about it. He was taking off to the U.S. So this is an instrumental song. Its name is Tempo do Mar, and it's a song from before. It's from 1971. Uh, it's for the movie with the same name. It was a short movie, so this entire song was actually included. And Jobim even said in his book called Cancioneiro Jobim that was put together by his son, Jobim was really feeling Brazil, the earth, the animals, heavily immersed in this cottage. The music you know, oh, my music in the U.S. and everything, you know, comes from this uh, environment here, you know, the... The rain, the sun, the, the trees, the birds, the, the fish. I could name here, you know, 1,001 birds, you know. That is my, let's say that I'm, I'm an ornithologist, um, an amateur, amateur ornithologist. Thank you. 
and although it was in fact released by the Philips record label in Brazil, it was pretty much an independent venture by Jobim. He started in the United States from scratch in order to have the full autonomy over the recording process. This record budget at around $30,000 at the time of his own pocket. We gotta acknowledge also here that Jobim was 45 at the time, rich and famous after releasing two albums as a duo with Frank Sinatra. This is another instrumental song here. It's called Mantiqueira Range. And the music was actually composed by Tom Jobim's child, Paulinho Jobim. Ended up in the opening credits of that movie that I mentioned before, Sagarana O Duelo. It's a crazy movie if you have the opportunity to find it online and when Tom Jobim's son wrote the song there was no name he used to just call the song Bayon which is this uh, Brazilian rhythm from the northeast it was Tom Jobim who put the name no wonder this is the name of a forest in Brazil Serra da Mantiqueira the Mantiqueira Mountains Paulinho Jobim had a short spell as a musician. Later on, he became an architect. At this time of this composition, he was only 20 years old. He was a new father. So Tom Jobim was also kind of a new granddad. He was 45. And Paulinho Jobim also contributes to the illustration of the album cover released in America. That painting in Brazil is used as the gatefold. We do have like a different version for the album cover. It's like a Tom Jobim's uh, picture with a big mustache with a black uh, background. By the way, the designer of the Brazilian cover is Aldo Luiz, the same guy at the time that for Philips also designed Transa by Caetano Veloso, Construção by Chico Buarque, Negro é Lindo by Jorge Ben, so many iconic covers. But anyway, so I really like this song here. It's one of my favorite instrumental songs on the album, especially this climax with this heavy percussion going on. gotta talk about the drummers here. It was João Palma who played with Tom Jobim before. Tom Jobim was very adamant to play with Brazilian drummers. They always said that Americans do not know how to play drums. Tom Jobim and João Gilberto, by the way. Tom Jobim was very famous for firing the American drummer playing with him and Sinatra. João Gilberto also very famous for firing the American drummer playing with him and Stangats. On this record is the great João Palma. He passed away in 2016. Also contributions on the percussion by Ayrton Moreira, who has like a big international career as a drummer. Thank you. 
So this song here is called Crônica da Casa Assassinada, which is in fact four suites of different themes. Uh, this first theme, Trem para Codisburgo, there is the obvious influence from Maestro Heitor Villa-Lobos, the most popular Brazilian erudite music composer of all time, especially his song Trenzinho Caipira, even the name with the words train. Codisburgo, by the way, was the city where the novelist João Guimarães Rosa was born. And by the way, originally Tom Jobim wrote this song for the soundtrack of the film A Casa Assassinada from 1971. This second suite of the song is called Chora Coração. There are lyrics here written by his lifetime music soulmate Vinicius de Moraes. Tem pena de mim Ouve só meus ais Eu não posso mais And starting from the minute 340 that's the theme of the opening credits for that movie that I just mentioned, Casa Assassinada, The Murdered House. It is, in fact, the leitmotiv of the movie. appears many, many times in different scenes. Directed by Paulo Cesar Saraceni, one of those guys from the Cinema Novo movement in Brazil. Everything was new around that time, right? We have Bossa Nova, Cinema Novo, and so on. This movie was based on a book by the genius writer Lucio Cardoso. One more of those books that's very complex and hard to read even in Brazil, and the movie chronicles the decadence of a rich family in the states of Minas Gerais, dealing almost very hard to describe and trying, but it's, as I said, weird, complex. You should definitely try to watch this movie if you can. The Murdered House, A Casa Assassinada. So this song is very, very long. It is nine minutes, and the third part... There is a theme that's kind of influenced or referencing uh, Claude Debussy, the Impressionist composer. So all these songs are present on the soundtrack of the movie. The difference is Tom Jobim ended up recording with different arrangements for the album with significant changes in the orchestration provided by Klaus Orgeman. For the film, the arrangements were still provided by Dori Kaimi, as I said before, way, way more stripped down, always with a guitar or piano in the background. In the album, it's 
right up in your face, right? All this orchestration here. By the way, Dorika Imi claims that the choice of instrumentation on this record is purely up to Augerman, right? That it was not influenced by Tom Jobim at all, perhaps only one thing or the other of what not to use, like I said before, American drummers. So, but Augerman did not create phrases or melodies or counterpoints to the songs, he just filled the gaps the empty sounds slightly altering some tempos as well with this uh, orchestration. It's actually being said that Jobim played the entire compositions only on the piano to Augerman so he could orchestrate and understand the meaning of this whole record. The fourth part of this song here, it is one of the best erudite slash MPB songs ever written in Brazil, it's very hard to qualify or quantify the importance of this song here over time. Two tracks on the album are purely instrumental tracks, also more in this symphonic, erudite uh, aspect of it. So when Tom Jobim decided to record this record, he was very absent from the media, right? He was not doing TV performances or playing live performances, by the way. Uh, many times there was request for him go on tour, especially with all these guys from the jazz scene in the United States, even Frank Sinatra or Stan Getz, many others. Tom Jobim always refused. He was not really like a tour type of guy. He didn't like to go from city to city. He didn't like not knowing what he was used to. So it was a very conscious decision of making a more difficult record. Tom Jobim at the time said that it was tough to figure out how to put on paper things that are in our souls. And there's a lot of notes that he did while making the album. They're all available on the internet, especially on his own website, jobim.org. It's a pretty impressive archive there. Uh, and by the way, at this time, more or less, he was kind of a tired to be associated with the Bossa Nova movement. There is an interview from a year later, in 1974, which the headline was Tired of Being Modern. He always said that 
He wrote 200 songs or more around that time, and only 10% were Bossa Nova songs. Uh, he played a lot of other things before Bossa Nova, during Bossa Nova, after Bossa Nova, so he didn't want it to be associated with it. And even later in life, in the 1990s or so, uh, Tom Jobim was constantly making this joke, saying on interviews that he feared being this old, 80 years old kind of guy playing girl from Ipanema at a small town community venue with a bunch of hecklers drinking cachaça. And on that note, there's the last track on the record, also an instrumental, at least in the Brazilian version. So, as I said, this is also an instrumental track. It's called Nuvens Douradas. So, there are two songs here uh, with this reference to nuvens, to clouds. Before it was Rancho das Nuvens, this one, the Golden Clouds. This song actually, Jobim asked Caetano Veloso to put lyrics on it, but it was never finished. So it became an instrumental song. Around that time, also, there were some accusations of plagiarism from this other song from 1956. Uh, this journalist called Tariki de Souza wrote in a review saying that the songs really were similar to each other, and Tom Jobim was actually paying a tribute to his former master. <laughs> so the wife of this guy, Marino Pinto, decided to start a lawsuit against Tom Jobim. And obviously, it was a very difficult record to play on the radio. And funny to notice that everybody around Tom Jobim at the time told him that Matita Pere was not a commercial album, uh, which he always responded by saying, this album is not for now, it's for the future, which he was absolutely right. 50 years later, and it sounds magical to hear a stick a stone it's the end of the road it's the rest of a stump it's a little alone it's a sliver of glass it is life it's the sun it is night it is death it's a trap it's a gun the oak when it blooms a fox in the brush the knot of the wood the song of a thrush The wood of the wind. You hear the peep of a bird again? That's Matita Pereira, here translated as thrush. In fact, Tom Jobim, as I said in the beginning, wrote the English lyrics himself. And the riverbank talks of the waters of March. It's the end of the strain, it's the joy in your heart. Obviously, March is not the end of summer in the North Hemisphere. So that's why Jobim adapts to the riverbend talks of the waters of March is the end of the string, it's the joy in your heart, which I guess it was the only possible way to make any sense, but to me the symbolism of this 
águas de março, these heavy rains that we have, it is the epitome of Brazil. So it lacks its impact a little translated into English. Um, this settles aspects of Brazilian life, so many specific words, tombo da ribanceira, peroba no campo. He was always very dissatisfied with the American versions of his songs because he felt they were never quite right to what he meant. Uh, for instance, in Grupo Ipanema, he had to fight for the beach Ipanema beat on the song, right? The English songwriter really didn't want to put Ipanema right there because it didn't mean anything to Americans at the time. He acknowledges that every version is kind of a sub-product. It's never gonna be as good as the original, but at least he tried to keep its intent of nature and everyday life, as I said. Uh, in New York, he used to live in a hotel there, 86th and 5th, the Adams Hotel, right in front of the Central Park. It's no longer there. He had a lot of funny things to say about New York. He used to say a lot that compared to Rio, New York was just like a big farm. And the reason was because we beat them and everything, car accidents, noise, robbery, criminality, pollution. There's nobody on the streets in New York, no cars, no construction noise. Which is very ironically to think New York in those terms right now. Uh, but that's where he ended up dying, unfortunately, in 1994. At 67 years old, he had like a heart attack. Tom Jobim always had these paradoxical feelings about living abroad and this homesickness that he had over time. He always used to say is one of his most famous phrases that living abroad is good, but it's shit. But living in Brazil is shit, but it's good. <laughs> And I can completely agree. This song, Waters of March, became so iconic that made even into a Coca-Cola commercial in the 1980s. Do you remember that? Coke is it! Or in Portuguese, Coca-Cola é isso aí! E pra você, o que é o Natal? Pra mim é amor, reunião, alegria, carinho, amizade. And that is it for today, folks. We celebrated here the 50 years of release of Matita Pere by Tom Jobim, internationally released as Jobim. Uh, send me a message on Instagram if you liked the show. Send me some feedbacks. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. See you next time. This was Brazuca Sounds with Leandro Vignoli. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Yeah.